Please open your Bibles to Matthew 5. What a blessing it is to be here this morning with the ways in which we've already worshipped the Lord and talked about His Word. We want to read Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And we read these words. Do not think, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest stroke or, or le- the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus transcends time. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been... And will always be. Yet Jesus who transcends time. Enters time. And space. In first century Palestine. Both of those profound truths. Are true. And what kind of a world was it. That Jesus enters. The following is a quotation from Josephus. Josephus was born 37 AD. He was born shortly after the time that Jesus died. What this quote says, we have an innumerable, an innumerable, you can read the word yourself. (laughs) We have a multitude of books among us. But only 22 books which contain the records of all past time. Now, in this, he talks about some other books they had that recorded historical events and recorded things about them. Now, those in my high school class, in the class that Josh and I are teaching right now, I want you and your parents to ask them to explain why it says we have 22 books. Or if you see some of these high school Students around your ask him why 22 books, but it's the same 39 books we have. We have only 22 books, let's pick up there, which contain the records of all past times. For although such long ages ago have now passed, no one ventured, and this is the key, no one ventured either to add. Or to remove, or to alter a syllable 
descendancy of every Jew from the day of his birth. The quote continues. To regard them as decrees of God, to abide by them, and if need be, cheerfully to die for them. Time and again, ere now the sight has been witnessed of prisoners enduring tortures and death in every form of theaters, rather than utter a single word against the law and allied documents. Now, Josephus would not necessarily be viewed as the most conservative of all Jews. And yet, that was his attitude. No one dare add a book to these 22. No one better take away from them. And no one better alter a syllable of them. And we all have that understanding. It is into that world Jesus came. And his teaching was different than that of the scribes and Pharisees. As Matthew 5 will illustrate, it was different than their teaching. His method was different than their method. And so some might believe. What does he believe about Scripture? Is he seeking to undermine it? Is he seeking to overthrow it? Is he seeking to abolish it? And Jesus answers this question in this passage of Scripture. Do not think, and Jesus will introduce another statement that way in Matthew 10, 34. But here, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now here are three other times that word abolish is used in the Gospel of Matthew. Each of them deal with the destruction of the temple. Jesus said, I am not coming to abolish to destroy the law in the way that he spoke in Matthew 24 of the temple being destroyed. I've not come to abolish the law. I have the law and the prophets. And this was a way sometimes of just referring to the whole Old Testament. Remember that if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you in Matthew 7 verse 12, this is the law and the prophets in Matthew 22 in verse 40 where the Bible tells us that if we love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves this is the whole law and prophets Paul said in Acts 24 in verse 14 that I have a hope toward God that these men cherish and I believe every word that is in the law and the prophets. That was a way to refer to the whole Old Testament. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law 
Now, don't you love those dictionary definitions that seem so obvious? You know what the word fulfill means? It means to feel full. There's your dictionary de- definition. It's obvious. And I put up Matthew 13, verse 48, because if you look at that verse, and you look at the context, this uses this word fulfill. And it uses this word fulfill in the sense of catching fish with a net. And you fill your net full of fish. That word is used in reference to a net catching fish. It's a word that is used to describe Jesus and the law. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill the law. First time a boy and girl meet. They start talking a little bit. Their interest in one another grows. Suddenly, he has the courage, or after a while, he has the courage to ask her to do something. And they do something, and they begin spending time together, and their relationship grows. It keeps growing. And finally, one day, he asks her to marry him. Does marriage annul courtship? Or does it fulfill it? Is Jesus annulling? The law and the prophets? Or is he fulfilling? Is he bringing to fruition all that it said and all that is intended in those words? Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish. But to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. Heaven and earth are about as stable as anything that we can speak of. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now notice the way that Jesus introduces this statement. Truly I say to you. The word truly is the Greek word. It is a transliterated word which simply says amen. Amen, I say to you. We say amen sometimes at the end of prayers to indicate that we agree with what is said. Jesus, 30 times in the Gospel of Matthew, says it before a pronouncement to emphasize the truth of what he is about to say. 
By the way, this was a method of teaching different from the Old Testament prophets, different from the Jewish rabbis, different from the early church. This is a method of Jesus' teaching that is unique to Him. Amen, I say to you. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, some of your translations may have yo or iota, uh, different ways of wording this, but it seems like Jesus is speaking of the Hebrew letter yo, which is basically like an English apostrophe. And that is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The stroke uh, or the tittle, uh, as some of your translations may have, is a little mark that may distinguish one letter from another. And the Bible says not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen will pass until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished. And then he goes on. And he uses the term kingdom of heaven. Three times in verses 19 and 20. You notice that verse 19 is very beautifully arranged. um, Symmetrically. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever knows one of the least of these commandments, least of these commandments is kind of like in verse 18, the smallest letter or the smallest stroke. You don't change Anything. Whoever annuls the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Jewish people sometimes arrange scripture from what was the most important commandment To the least important commandment. You remember that Jesus was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? And Jesus himself, sometimes in introducing a subject, like in Matthew 23, verse 23, said you have neglected weightier matters of the law. Jesus was not opposed, per se, to a distinction between weightier and lighter matters. When Jesus was asked, what's the first and great commandment? He gave an answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Some of the Jewish people at that time divided that as the greatest and most important commandment. And they stated the least significant commandment was in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 6, where you could not remove a bird with its eggs. Jesus is not necessarily saying you should make any distinction between the greatest and the least. As a matter of fact, in a certain sense, he seems to do that in this passage. But what he is saying 
is you cannot think that distinction makes you free to ignore anything. He said. Our eternal God, who has always been and will always be, gave us 66 books as we divide them to reveal who He is, to show us the way to Himself. How dare we minimize Him? Whoever then loses, and the word that's translated in verse 19, annuls, the word translated annuls here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19, that word that's translated annuls is used in Matthew 16, in Matthew 16 and verse uh, 18 and 19, when Jesus talked about whoever binds on earth what has been bound in heaven, and you shall loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. The word loose in Matthew 16 and verse 19, and in Matthew 18, and it also appears in Matthew 18, verse 18, it is the same word used here in translating annuls in this particular passage of Scripture. In Matthew 5, Matthew 5 and verse 17 through 20 is where we are. But in Matthew 5 and verse 19. And the Bible uses this word of time and untie a cold in Luke 19. Verses 30 through 34. Tying and untying a colt. Whoever looses one of the least of these commandments and so teaches men to do so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, practices, and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly I say to you that unless... Your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Our conception of the scribes and Pharisees may not be very good. It may not be very good. But they they were the epitome of people who were respected in that world, in that time. And the Bible tells us that unless your righteousness is greater than theirs, you're not going to enter heaven. Well, what is that? Well, we'll talk in a second, Lord willing, about what that's doing. But let's make three points from this text. Three points from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. First of all, I don't think we can miss or should miss. The high regard that Jesus has for Scripture. The high regard that Jesus has for Scripture. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not 
come to abolish, but to fulfill. And until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not a yod, nor a stroke of the pen will pass from the law until everything is accomplished. Kenneth Chumley states in his commentary on the book of Matthew that there are 66,420 yodes in the Old Testament. Let me get that down again. 66,420 yodes in the Old Testament. Don't you think we would make it just fine with 66,419 yos? But Jesus has the highest regard for Scripture. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, nor stroke of the pen, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished. And whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Have you noticed over and over in moments of crisis in his life that Jesus points people to Scripture? He uses Scripture to explain what he is doing. He describes every detail of his life in terms of Scripture. He resists temptation by quoting Scripture. When Jesus was turned to tempted to turn stones to bread, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In Deuteronomy 8, in verses 2 and 3. And throughout Matthew 4, he quotes, he quotes the Old Testament when he is tempted by Satan. He uses the word to resist temptation. Also, you see in these other passages, when he is in disputes with groups, he can quote scripture. For example, when he is criticized, he and his disciples in Matthew 9, for eating with tax collectors and sinners, he states, have you never read? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He also quotes that passage in Matthew 12, in verse 7. When the Sadducees come to him and ask him about the resurrection, Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. Have you not read that passage that Moses spoke to them at the bush, saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and God is not God of the dead, but he's God of the living. Over and over, Jesus is going to Scripture because he has the highest regard for Scripture. That statement that Josephus made earlier about the Jewish respect for Scripture, Jesus has a higher regard for Scripture than any. For he is its author. This doesn't mean that every aspect of the law 
He's spying in the same way upon us as it was upon them. Doesn't mean every aspect of the law is binding in the same way. Sacrifices in those beautiful words, and they are beautiful from the front of the mouth of God. From Leviticus 1 through 7, find their fulfillment in Jesus, according to Hebrews 9 and 10. Jesus has fulfilled them and has enriched the meaning of every word, but he has the highest regard for Scripture and he ultimately fulfills the law and the prophets. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill. I've come to fulfill. And until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. He will fulfill the law. He will accomplish the law. And all of these things on the board are passages in the book, passages in the book of Matthew where Jesus is said... To fulfill the Old Testament scriptures by his message. Now he's not annulling it. He's not abolishing it. He is fulfilling it. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. I have referenced this passage several times. I don't know that we've read this passage together. And I say Jesus is the interpreting key of the Old Testament. Let's just read what Paul wrote here. I recognize we're picking up in the middle of an argument, but in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14, their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read... The veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What does it mean in reading the Old Testament? A veil remains over the heart. In reading Moses, a veil remains over the heart. Is that discouraging us? Trying to dissuade us from reading Moses, from reading the Old Covenant? Not at all. It is telling us when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When we understand Jesus, we understand Him as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the one that is spoken of. And so He is the interpretive key to understanding the significance and the importance of all of these things. And Matthew 17 Verses 1 through 9, at the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember that awesome sight. As Peter and James and John are there and they see Jesus' face shining brighter than the sun, and his garments are bright and shining. 
And they hear a voice from heaven as he appears with Moses and Elijah. They hear a voice. They say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I heard people interpret that verse in a way as sad. That Jesus is saying, that God is saying, listen to Jesus, not Moses and Elijah. Listen to Jesus. Because he's going to tell you all those things that Moses and Elijah were saying that you didn't understand. He's going to make it all clear. He's going to put all the pieces together. And particularly this deals with listening to what he's about to say about being rejected, being crucified. Listen to him. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophet. Jesus has the highest regard for Scripture. Jesus fulfills Scripture. And Jesus... Jesus unlocks the meaning of Scripture. And the Bible says, and Jesus says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless your righteousness surpasses that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, you found this term, kingdom of heaven, used repeatedly in this particular section. Three times in verses 19 and 20. So when I was growing up, particularly on a Sunday morning, and it was true anytime, but particularly on a Sunday morning, you could turn anywhere across the dial and there were religious radio programs on the radio. Not as easy to find them now. But if you turn anywhere in the And one person was taking questions and answering them one day. And I remember this vividly. And he said, What does it mean that our righteousness has to surpass? Or, no, excuse me. The question was, I remember, I remember it vividly, like I told you. Um, but the question was, Should we pass to that? He said, well, in Luke 18, verses 11 and 12, the scribes and Pharisees fasted twice. That, that Pharisee fasted twice a week. Jesus said, our righteousness has to be greater than theirs if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, we have to fast three times a week to enter the kingdom of heaven. I would love to see that guy. It was just a radio sermon. See how thin he was. I've never heard that interpretation before, nor since. And I think it misses what this is about. What Jesus is about to say is profound. Now, don't forget that the scribes and Pharisees were highly respected. We may not view them with respect, but they did. And in many ways, they were concerned about the law. 
And what Jesus is about to say, which I think shows his full respect for the law and the prophets that he just talked about, but it's going to be different than what they heard. Jesus is going to tell them, you have heard that you shall not commit murder. But I tell you that if you're angry with your brother, you are guilty before God. And the law says you shall not commit adultery. But if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Jesus is going to truly deal with a complete surrender of our spirit and our heart to God. This morning, John asked the question, or say in the Bible class to the teenagers, that some points in his life, He's just wanted the Bible to be a big list of do's and don'ts of what I can do and what I can't do. Just just tell me. Why is the Bible written that way? Why is the Bible written that way? Because God And it's not to minimize any do's or don'ts in Scripture. Don't get me wrong. I do not want to lose the least of them. But it is to say, God is seeking to win our whole being. Heart, soul, and mind. He wants us to surrender our entire self to Him. Therefore, we read of God creating a perfect paradise in Genesis and being driven out of the world. We read of man's continued rebellion in Genesis 1-11 through and God making a covenant with Abraham. And we read the bright days of the descendants of Abraham and the dark days. And we see how they ended up in slavery in Egypt. And God brought them out. What we see is a God whose love refuses to give up on rebellious and disobedient people. Because He wants us to be His entirely. When God says something, we listen. When God says don't do something, we pay attention. But we have surrendered our whole spirit to Him where we're not seeking to try to find loopholes in the law. We're seeking to give Him all that we are and all that we have. One time, a college student, a girl, was telling me about her relationship with another young man. She said, I said no to him so many times and put him off so many times and told him I wasn't interested so many times. 
She said that I have to admit it. I'm attracted to it. Because he just won't give up on me. <laughs> he will not give up on me. If we can be attracted to human relationships like that, how much more a God who refuses to give up on us? Today, it's sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, he acknowledges sin. He prayed, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me in Psalm 51 verse 10. And in verses 16 and 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And we take seriously everything else. And we surrender to Him with all our heart and soul and mind. And in this sermon, Jesus will emphasize this. But thank you for listening patiently. There was once a lawyer who came to Jesus and said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, What is written in the law? How is it reading? He pointed it to Scripture, just like He always did. What is written in the law? How does it read? And the man gave a right You shall love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, Do this, and you will live. God wants all of us. If you understand this morning that you've sinned, that you've fallen short, that you need His mercy and grace, you understand that Jesus died for you, God's refusal to give up on us was so intense that He gave what was dearest and most precious, His Son, to experience the worst possible consequences of death and death and the cross so that we can be saved. If you want to repent of your sin and say, I'm tired of walking that way, if you want to be baptized in Christ, we want to help you today as we stand and as we sing.